Welcome to the Tell Us Something Podcast. I'm Mark Moss. Please remember to save the date for Mozilla Gives, May 5th through the 6th. Mozilla Gives is a 24-hour online giving event. Remember to support Tell Us Something during Mozilla Gives, May 5th through the 6th. Learn more at MozillaGives.org. This week on the podcast, I sit down with Melody Rice to talk about the story she shared live on stage at the Covalite Theater in Butte, America. The theme that night was work. I walk into this barbershop and I say, hey, I'm wondering if you're interested in hiring somebody to be in that second chair of yours. And the guy turns and looks at me and he says, I don't hire women. We also talk about inequality in the workforce, life in Butte, Montana, and about what things were like in regards to COVID in Butte at that time. We are currently looking for storytellers for the next Tell Us Something storytelling event. The theme is, didn't see that coming. If you'd like to pitch your story for consideration, please call 406-203-4683. You have three minutes to leave your pitch. The pitch deadline is May 27th. I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for joining me as I take you behind the scenes at Tell Us Something to meet the storytellers behind the stories. In each episode, I sit down with a Tell Us Something storyteller alumni. We chat about what they've been up to lately and about their experience sharing their story live on stage. Sometimes we get extra details about their story and we always get to know them a little better. Melody Rice shared her story in front of a live audience at the Covalite Theater in Butte, Montana in November 2018. The theme was work. Melody Rice shares her story, Butte Barber, about being the first woman barber in Butte, Montana in the 1980s. Remember that the Covalite Theater in Butte is an old church that's been restored and operates as a performance space. So the recording has a little bit of an echo. Thanks for listening. In 1980, I moved from San Diego to Butte, Montana. And the reason why is a different story. Today we're talking about work. So there I was in Uptown Butte with my newly minted barber's license looking for a job. And the first barbershop that I popped into was the barbershop, I am certain, that Ray Stevens wrote the barbershop song, the haircut song about. If you haven't heard the haircut song, it's time that you look it up on YouTube. Because Ray Stevens went to, came to Butte, Montana and got a haircut in this redneck barbershop. Anyway, I'm, I walk into this barbershop and I say, hey, I'm wondering if you're interested in hiring somebody to be in that second chair of yours. And the guy turns and looks at me and he says, I don't hire women. And I go, huh. And he says, there's a guy down the street that does. So I, I back out because I know that barbers have sharp things and I can feel how intensely, like, angry or whatever he was to me, so I backed out and went the direction that his thumb pointed. And so sure enough, that other barber had just been thinking about how he wanted to get somebody to rent his other chair. So I, I got the job. My first day at work, it was 40 below zero. 40 below zero. I had no idea that entire vehicles could freeze solid so you couldn't put your, even put your key in the door. But that's another story also. 
So here I am working in this barber shop, and I love it. It's wonderful. There are um, business people, bankers, lawyers, um, doctors, old guys that I would cut their hair, and the um, old guys sometimes would come in and they'd go, oh, a female barber. And I would say, oh, a guy who needs a haircut. And some of them thought my sassiness was okay and they'd get in my chair and others would run away, but that's all right. So I learned a lot in that place um, from all the businessmen and women that came in. And one of the things that I learned is in order to build business, you give business to the people who gave you business, right? And at that time, in Uptown Butte, there were three banks. So I had my business account in one bank, my personal account in another bank, and my safe to deposit box in, another, in the third bank to spread the love because all the um, presidents and vice presidents and some of the loan officers would come in for haircuts. So I was learning how to spread the love. So I loved working there, learned so much from all the folks that came in and um, about 12 years into cutting hair there, there were signs from the universe. Now that's kind of California lingo for, there were, there were business indicators. And the signs from the universe was, were telling me to get my own barbershop. And the signs were kind of like this. A guy would come in, he would sit down and he would say, you should get your own barbershop. <laughs> and so, I was taking that, you know, indicator in, and then uh, the final indicator, though, was when the owner of the barbershop came in one day and noticed how worn the floor was getting from how busy we were, and he said, we're going to have to get a new floor, and you're paying 50%. Well, in that 12 years, I knew the difference between an independent contractor and an equal share business partner. I was not a business partner. So that helped me decide the indicators and the signs from the universe that it was time for me to get my own barbershop. So I decided to go and try to find somebody who'd give me a loan. So I picked bank number one where I had my business account because I thought, well, they could see that I had my business account in there for 12 years and then it was my uh, income was building, and I paid my bills, and I was a good risk. So I called, and I made an appointment, and I showed up at the allotted time, and I was having really good confidence about this because I cut that guy's hair, right? And so I uh, go to the, the appointment, and the um, secretary told me where his office was. I walked in with confidence because I did have an appointment, and he says, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I came because I have an appointment to talk to you about. And right then, in the doorway, walked this guy with a 10-gallon hat, you know, like the one that Haas wore on uh, that TV show. Bonanza, that's right. So Haas is walking in, and loan officer Lou from behind the desk jumps up and he almost runs over there and he's with one hand shaking 10 gallon hat man's hands and with the other one he's indicating to me that my appointment's over. So I walk out the door and I feel like I just got kicked in the gut 
Like, what the heck was that? I mean, I, I made an appointment. I wanted to give this guy business. What the hell? And so as I'm walking back to the barber shop, I'm confused, I'm dejected, but then I get pissed. I'm so angry. And what's that saying? Hell hath no fury than a woman going for a bank loan and getting blown off by 10-gallon hat man. So I decide, okay, I still, I still got to find the, a loan. So I go to bank number two where I have my, um, my private account and uh, make the appointment. And the person on the phone had told me, okay, it's really important for you to bring some evidence that you have savings. Now, that's one of the other wonderful things that I learned working at the barbershop is that um, some very wise person told me to save 10% of my income. You know, I was 19 at the time when I first started cutting hair. So I, I started saving 10%. So even if I made $5, I'd save 10%. Now, as a contract worker, you have to pay all your own taxes. You have no benefits, no health insurance. You have to pay. So you almost have nothing. So I was able to manage to save that 10%, and I had a, a little portfolio. Really, it was just one bank statement talking about my IRA. So I brought that with me to the loan officer of bank number two. I show up, and... <gasps> The loan officer's a woman. And I say, ah, oh, good on you, non-traditional, yay. So we sit down, and I hand her my one-page statement of my IRA, and she opens it up and looks at it, and her eyes get really big. And she closes it, and her smile gets really wide and warm, and she says, how much money can we loan you? And so, now, think like mm, three months into the future, I am owning my own barbershop. It's the off-Broadway barbershop, and I bought it from, guess who? The guy who I went to his shop, the very first shop I went to, right? It, except, well, I really didn't buy it from him, did I now? Because he wouldn't have ever sold it to a woman, but I bought it from his widow, and his widow was a wonderful woman, and we did a beautiful, mutually acceptable, beneficial business deal that left us both happy as clams. Yeah. So now, flash forward to my little new barbershop. I, it's, it's renovated. It no longer looks like that, uh, you know, that place that was a redneck place. But anyway, so uh, I'm there. It's a busy day. Uh, lots of people. It's walk-in day. I've got a guy in the chair. And who walks in the doorway but loan officer Lou. Oh, oh, it feels like I get kicked in the gut again when I see him because the last time I saw him was at the bank. And, um, and I think, it's cool. He's coming in to give me business. I don't like it. It's fine. I'll be fine. So uh, I finished my haircuts and all the guys waiting and he hops in the chair and we do pleasantries and we're talking about his family and I'm thinking, okay, we're on the home stretch, we're okay. And um, so now it's time to 
shave around his ears, and zzz, I'm getting the hot lather from my lather machine, zzz, and I put that around his ears, and I get out my straight-edge razor, and I'm stropping my razor, and I'm about ready to shave right around his ears when he says to me, you know, if you ever need a business loan, I'm your man. And I freeze. I freeze right there with my razor right above his ear. My straight edge razor right above his ear. And I'm thinking some thoughts in my head that aren't very nice. I'm thinking some stuff that I cannot say. And I think I just want to tell him off so bad. But then I notice, oh, there's too many witnesses. But there's fight, flight, or freeze, and I was frozen, and I'll tell you that freeze saves lives, or ears at the very least, right? So anyway, I get unfrozen because I think too many witnesses, and I finish up his shave, and I shave around the edges, and I get the lather off, and I slap him up with some uh, aftershave, and I'm thinking to myself, what am I going to say to him? And I take off the cloth from the chair cloth from him, and I say to him, thanks for the offer, Lou. I appreciate it. And he pays me, and he leaves, and the other guy gets in the chair. It was a 60-degree, below-zero cold snap in Butte that convinced Melody Rice's mom to pack up her three-year-old daughter and head to the warm shores of Southern California. Most summers, Melody returned to Montana to fish, camp, and help her granddad build stuff, which created a special place in her heart for crabby old guys. She worked as a barber for 18 years until a shoulder injury required her to find a new profession. Melody is now a licensed clinical professional counselor and art therapist in private practice in Butte. I caught up with Melody in June of 2020. I'm curious, I can't remember how, did I recruit you or did somebody tell you about it or how did you end up being a part of it? So I saw your ads and I had heard about your project before from my sister-in-law, Debbie, with when he came to view to like just scope out view as a potential place. So I, I just had heard about the project itself. And she is a um, a librarian and a, um, a school. She works with the school with computers and um, storytelling. And so when she was telling me about it, I thought, wow, that's great. And then I saw your posters everywhere and even included a poster in the Finland Hotel. Yep. So that's where I work and I was able to uh, kind of, oh my gosh, that's so great in terms of um, just seeing if, if um, you'd be interested in any of the life stories I have and then seeing if any of my friends or clients would be interested in sharing their life stories and I, I feel like Life stories are so essential in terms of just wellness and healing, and so I was pretty excited to um, give you a call and share with you my idea. So I was, and I was super, super thrilled that you you liked the story. It was on, like, it's, on Melody. It's an awesome story. Thanks. Yeah. 
And I was so grateful to you for providing the space for us to do that practice run. Yeah, it, was, it was an honor to have other story care tellers there in my office and you coaching us along. That was um, super cool. Yeah, it was really cool. And Jim, your uncle? Yes. Yeah, he was, <laughs> he's a riot. He is. He's so fun. Yeah, so I'm so... to Canada and Mexico and those are the only two foreign countries I've been to unfortunately I'm not a world traveler I wish I were through the process of how you decided what story you wanted to tell? Whoa. 
catch up with um, the rest of the world in that it's kind of a little bit isolated and um, it's slow in terms of, at least my experience has been slow in terms of um, just being aware of uh, women's rights and women's um, place in the world. And um, so as I started thinking about, okay, what is one of the, my favorite stories about being, being in Butte, being in, um, being, like, finding my way here. And um, so that story of being, uh, not the first female barber in Butte, but one of the first female barbers in Butte, and trying to find a job, trying to also um, go out on my own in terms of uh, being a, um, an independent uh, worker and having my own shop and getting alone. And so the fact that um, that that story uh, for me was kind of a, an important piece to my having confidence that I can be my own shop owner, be my own um, person in the industry. And so, um, so I felt like oh, if I start at the very beginning in terms of what it's like being a female barber in Butte, trying to um, uh, be in the business world fully. And so, um, anyway, it was kind of primary in my mind. It's like, what is it? I want other people to know what it's like to, to um, kind of try to launch yourself in a place where uh, the things are mostly geared around um, men in industry. So that was, that was my process of deciding which, which story to tell and how important it is. I think it still resonates. I mean, women still haven't caught up in some in some sense. You know, people in office jobs, as an example, I always think of, um, you have two people with the same skill level. One is a man, one is a woman. Woman is always going to get paid less. Right. And it's not fair, and it's not right. And to hear your your origin story of working in Butte and, and sort of standing up to that and overcoming that was really inspiring. Thanks. Yeah. And your grace yeah. with handling the guy when you, after, after the fact. Yeah. Was, yeah. Yeah. And I think that in, in the business world in general, I think that there are circumstances that are like that where the playing fields aren't level. And, and then how do, how do women or, or other minorities, how do they, how do they manage it without burning bridges? How do they manage it without making the struggle even more severe? And so, so that's the that's the experience that, that I feel. Just just being a woman in, in industry, it's difficult to manage, especially when things are unjust. And so, yeah, the it's life is interesting. Yeah, and I. I love living in Butte, and I, I, even though there are some things that are pretty difficult, I think that life is 
just there's a level of community and family uh, in view that I haven't experienced elsewhere. And so while there was struggle in terms of being a female in business, there I feel like it, it was worth challenge. It has been worth challenge for me. Where, how long have you been in Butte? I, I moved to Butte when I was 18. So my family first, my mom and I lived in Butte when I was um, I was three. And then she had a, it was a really rough winter. It was 60 below zero. Oh my God. And, um, and so she's decided, I'm moving to Southern California. This is ridiculous. <laughs> change I bet Approach me in terms of it being a political 
Right. So, yeah, and, and for me, I feel like the wearing a mask is a protection because um, there's that element of people may have it that have no symptoms. Right. And so I don't want to be a person that is the potential for me being a carrier giving it to other people. So I just, I wear my mask when I'm in close quarters. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, for me, when St. Patrick's Day got canceled, that was sort of my cue, like, this is real, this is a big deal. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, Exactly. because, uh, I don't know how many, how many decades St. Patrick's Day has been in view, but, um, but that was the wake-up call for me as well, like, holy moly, this is the... This has got to be huge if you cancel the St. Patrick's Day Parade, if they cancel the, um, you know, they get the gatherings that they had in um, the bars and, and all of those things. And so, anyway, that was definitely, okay, this is absolutely, totally real. Yeah. Well, the last time mm-hmm. I was in Butte, I think it was maybe October... Um, I was scouting out other locations to, to come back and try it, uh, do it again. Mm-hmm. And I went and I found Frank Little's grave. And I, you did? Yeah. Good. Yeah. And, but I was also wandering around the cemetery looking and noticing the number of gravestones from 1919 and 1920 and you know, 1921 right. and 1922, and I'm, I was just like, wow. And mm-hmm. when St. Patrick's Day got canceled this year, I I was like, oh yeah, Butte remembers what this what a pandemic is like because they did not shut down during the flu panda- pandemic. I mean, mining was still going, and, and Butte suffered. And I think what I was reading was... Um, Butte had the most deaths in Montana during the yeah. during the flu pandemic of 1918 and 1919. Yeah. So. And if, and if I'm correct, I think that uh, Governor Bullock is from Butte, and so um, he, um, I think that he may personally have some family. I mean, if he's if his entire family is from Butte, then um, he might get it. Like know some a story about it. I know that in my family, my grandmother's brother died um, during the pandemic, and everybody in their family was just laid low. And they had a um, a woman in the neighborhood that uh, was the only person in the neighborhood that wasn't um, just bedridden by this illness. And they had come, she had come over to help care for everybody, and um, you know, in, in that process to my um, great-uncle died from, from the blue, and so uh, it's just so interesting, right, in terms of how people, how they may or may not learn from, the, from their Yeah, I mean, you can't social distance in the mines. Yeah. 
And I don't even and think then, that they knew that they should do that, right? Social distancing. Well, there were there were newspaper clippings that ended up in the on Montana Standard, uh, just in terms of comparing what the newspaper was saying back then and what it's saying now. And indeed, there were newspaper clippings saying that the health the Department of Health Health is saying don't go to basketball games, don't don't do this, don't do that. Don't, you know, and the people were doing it anyway. Right. So, so there was a, you know, from the state level, there was an edict across the land saying, don't do these social events, and Peter's like, whatever, we're fine. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know us, we're tough, we're from Butte. And they were, they, yeah. like you said, they were telling large, large numbers. Yeah. I don't know when public gatherings will be possible. I mean, we go to the grocery store about once a month, and... We try to utilize uh, curbside pickup when possible. Um, and mm-hmm. it's required to wear a mask at the store, at this particular store. And it's still really stressful. There are certain people who are getting close and, you know, touching each other and hugging. And I'm just like, it's anxiety inducing just to go to the grocery store. Mm-hmm. Very true. And then you get home and, or at least we get home and wash everything before we put it away. And then we take all of our clothes off and get get in the shower. And it's like, you know, what would be a 15 minute grocery trip turns into 90 minutes. You know what? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And given, you know, I woke up this morning and there are 30 new cases in Montana. And I just think, oh gosh, political conversation mm-hmm. at all <laughs> but mm-hmm. yeah so it's, it's unfortunate that that's that's that the political it became political and health care shouldn't be political caring for us when we're in a pandemic should not be political to my views yeah um so going back to tell us something in storytelling um roundabout way this is sort of an Irish Irish way to tell stories isn't it we go uh, uh, on all these different rabbit holes 
but you know, rolling into 2020, Telesunding had a lot of momentum, and we were going to be back in Butte. I can't remember what. Um, oh, we were going to be at the Orphan Girl Theater. Yeah. That's going to be a great venue. Yeah. We were going to come to the Orphan Girl. And, you know, that's a pretty intimate little space. And, obviously, we're not coming this year. You know, I, want, I love how you're kind of reinventing how this is going to be. Because it reminds me of this. And this is one of the things I hear about finding ways to do it. are 
reinventing how this is gonna be in order for it to fit in the coronavirus pandemic and in order for other people to continue to allow that healing to happen, even though face-to-face or live audience um, uh, way of storytelling can't happen right now. So um, thank you. Thank you for your motivation. Thank you for your creativity in this. Um, thank you for your dedica- dedication to it, to allowing people to share and to receive the stories. Oh, you're welcome. And I think I've said this to you before. It feels, this work that I'm doing feels like a vocation. And Mm. it's almost like I don't have a choice. I have to. In order to honor the work that I've done for the past 10 years, I have to figure out a way to keep it relevant and make it real and allow it to continue. And... Sometimes I'm not doing great at it. Sometimes uh, I'm messing up and making mistakes, and that's what growth looks like. So. Yeah, that is. <laughs> yeah. Melanie, right. thank, thank you so much for spending the time with me this morning. You are so welcome. It's my honor talking with you, Mark. Oh, and tomorrow's the you first do. day of summer, so happy summer. Tomorrow is? Wow, that's great. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Melody. You too. Please remember to save the date for Missoula Gives, May 5th through the 6th. Missoula Gives is a 24-hour online giving event. Remember to support Tell Us Something during Missoula Gives, May 5th through the 6th. Learn more at missoulagives.org. We are currently looking for storytellers for the next Tell Us Something storytelling event. The theme is Didn't See That Coming. If you'd like to pitch your story for consideration, please call 406 203 4683. You have three minutes to leave your pitch. The pitch deadline is May 27th. I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks to our in kind sponsors. Hi, it's Joyce from Joyce of Tile. If you need tile work done, give me a shout. I specialize in custom tile installations. Learn more and see some examples of my work at joyceoftile.com. Hey, this is Gabe from Gecko Designs. We're proud to sponsor Tell Us Something. Learn more at geckodesigns.com. Missoula Broadcasting Company, including the family of ESPN Radio, The Trail, 103.3, Jack FM, and my favorite place to find a dance party while driving, U104.5. Float Missoula. Learn more at floatmsla.com and missoulaevents.net. Thanks to Cash for Drunkers who provided the music for the podcast. Find them at cashfordrunkersband.com. If you're in Missoula, you can catch them live at the Union Club on May 14th. To learn more about Tell Us Something, please visit tellussomething.org.